Airlines Confidential with Ben Valdanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney, whose GTF engines are redefining aviation. Learn more at pwgtf.com. Aerodata, the leading edge in flight performance data. Visit aerodata.co. Aerodata is a Garmin company. Sidley Austin, the destination law firm for leading airlines and aviation companies. Visit sidley.com aviation. And Seabury Securities, global reach, global scale. seaburysecurities.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at airlinesconfidential.com. Hello, this is Chris Chimes. Welcome to Airlines Confidential. As this show drops, it's Thanksgiving week, so we appreciate your finding some time in the midst of family, friends, flying, food, football, and fun to spend a few minutes with us. And Ben even took a break from shoving stuffing up his turkey's backside to talk aviation for a few minutes, or Ben, is your job making pies? <laughs> it's a little of everything on Thanksgiving. Plus, we've traveled some on this vacation, too. So maybe next week I'll have even my own airline story to talk about, Chris. Okay, good enough. Well, we've all got some work to do. And so we're going to keep this short this week so uh, we can let you get back to what you want to do and enjoy your holiday week. First up, the U.S. Department of Justice's antitrust case against the American JetBlue Northeast Alliance has gone to the judge for a decision. Judge Leo Sorokin indicated he's got a lot of reading to do, so there's speculation that that means his decision is likely several weeks away. So I'm not going to ask Ben to comment since he can't as a member of the JetBlue Board of Directors. We've talked about this before, but I'll just say I'm struck by how little interest this case has generated over the past six weeks. And I also have to say that the DOJ's closing argument focusing on how the AA JetBlue deal isn't, quote, justified, that was in a lot of headlines, just kind of struck me. I'm not a lawyer, but I think it's a weird word to use. It was not the airline's job to justify the agreement in this trial. It was the DOJ's job to prove that it was anti-competitive and would cause consumer harm. So I'm not sure where they're going with the justified uh, argument. Let's see where the judge comes down on this. Uh, it'll probably be into December. Like I said, that's where the lawyers are speculating, but um, it'll be an interesting outcome. And then also in the Washington, D.C. airline scene, the U.S. Department of Transportation has fined six airlines a total of $7.5 million for failing to issue consumer refunds in a timely manner. Frontier was the only U.S. airline implicated and received the largest fine of $2.2 million. But Air India, TAP Portugal, El Al, Aeromexico, and Avianca were also fined, and they were also ordered to collectively refund almost $600 million. So Ben, why are we even having this discussion? I think the issue of refunds isn't yet fully resolved in the industry, Chris. You know, the pandemic really put a spotlight around this issue. There were always issues around what gets refunded, what doesn't, what gets refunded with cash versus credit, how long does it take, how long is the credit worth, and things like that. And so what's happened over the last couple of years with the support of some consumer groups like former guest Charlie Leoka talked about 
is that issues where the airline messes up, meaning the airline cancels a flight or seriously delays a flight or doesn't deliver your bag with you or something like that, the issues of those kind of refunds has moved forward quite a bit and is largely resolved in the sense that consumers get the kind of protections they mostly think they would want to get. There are clearly some people who want unrealistic things too. But if your flight's canceled, you can get a refund now. If there's a really significant delay, you can get a refund. If your bag doesn't get delivered with you, you can get your bag fee refunded, right? Those things are true now. But what isn't there yet, Chris, is when the consumer decides they don't want to fly. So I'm sick and I don't want to fly. Or I was in the hotel bar and didn't hear the flight announcement. Or I got stuck in a long line in security. Or there was more traffic getting to the airport than I expected. So in all those cases, customers will say, I want a refund because I didn't make the flight. And airlines are reticent to give refunds in those cases because they say, hey, the plane was here, your seat was here, the flight flew on time, you just weren't here. So that's not our problem, that's your problem. But there is more talk going on now about what else needs to be either regulated or at least resolved by the industry as it relates to refunds. So I think this big fine against these six airlines just keeps this idea in the headlines, recognizes that airlines haven't always behaved properly around refunds and identifying names of airlines that did a particularly poor job of this is probably something the media likes to do, but probably helps the consumer advocates and the legislators who would want more regulation in this area. I think that's why we're having the discussion. Have I made too much of it, Chris? No, I think that's accurate. I mean, especially here in the U.S., I think a lot of the carriers are making progress towards more transparency and simpler rules. We saw that during the pandemic, and some of them have kept those simplified kinds of rules. You know, for years, if not decades, airline executives have said, we we don't want to be treated differently. We want to be a retailer. We want to do all these things and be able to do all these things that other kinds of industries and businesses do. And so they've got to behave that way. And so that includes simple to understand refund and credit rules and procedures. And again, the contract of carriage is kind of a mystery kind of a thing. If you go onto most websites or deal with, you know, most other kind of consumer retail groups, it's very clear. Like you have 30 days to return an item you've purchased on a major department store website or especially a retailer, or you have 60 days or there's free shipping or there's not free shipping, but it's very clear. And again, I would encourage airlines to keep moving towards that light of being simple and clear. doesn't mean you always have to 
give the consumer exactly what they demand. Like you said, sometimes it's unreasonable, but it ought to not be ambiguous. I'll just leave it like that. You know, Chris, that makes me want to ask you a question. You've been the head of communications for a couple airlines and now play that important role for a big cruise line. How does this issue differ in the two industries? Do do the cruise lines see the same kind of refund pressure that the airlines have been seeing? Well, we have a different payment process in that you know, typically you book a cruise and you put down a deposit. Sometimes there's a promotion where you don't have to put it down a deposit. It might be nominal, like $50, and then you don't actually pay for the cruise until 30, 60, 90 days out, depending on the cruise line and the kind of fare that you booked. So people understand that. They understand once they're in final payment, they're on the hook for the full amount. That's why there's an uptake that's much stronger in the cruise industry with regard to travel insurance. But I think it's a it's a simpler process. And then also cruise guests and consumers are much more conditioned to look for what we call compensation. Um, I've never I didn't like that term when I came into the business five years ago because many times this is these are goodwill gestures if if the cruise is going to be shortened by a day because of weather or some other mechanical reason. These are goodwill gestures, but we've conditioned cruise guests to ask for compensation. And so that then tilts the conversation. But we have a very standardized process by which, based on the the impact to the guest, what's the compensation going to be? And we get it get it very quickly versus sometimes there's a delay. I think sometimes airlines have done started to move in a pretty positive way when there's an uh, off-schedule operation. And by the time you get off the plane, I've had experiences where I had an email saying, we're sorry for what just happened. Here's 5,000 extra miles or whatever else. I think they could do more of that and resolve some of these issues quicker. It seemed like they were moving that way and then the pandemic sidetracked them. But I, but I think there are ways to get to a resolution quicker. I've sometimes experienced a situation where I didn't particularly want compensation, but I saw the mayhem going on around me on a plane with like a four or five hour delay and really bad information. And I've, I've sent a note to uh, an airline executive I know and just said, this isn't about me, but you got a bad situation here. You might want to have your, your team reach out to those on board or your top tier customers. And, and they have done that, but um, I think there are better ways to get at it quicker. So in the airline business, this is all tied into the contract of carriage and what it says and what it doesn't and when it has to be changed and things. Does that concept hold in the cruise line too? Do you have your own contract of carriage? Well, we have a ticket contract that is much simpler to read. That's the bottom line and it doesn't have a... a I wouldn't even call contract of carriage a fancy name. It's a convoluted name. You got to just keep it simple. But you you start from the concept of the contract to calling it something bigger than it probably needs to be. Well, I think Moby Dick is easier to read than most <laughs> contracts of carriage. <laughs> I'm listening to the Winston Churchill biography on tape. It's like 68 hours or something, but I can't imagine 
reading it. It's fascinating, but it's probably just as complicated as that contract of carriage. That's a, a great idea, though. Maybe maybe Audible should uh, offer the Delta Airlines <laughs> You can listen to it while running. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, or to go to sleep. Yeah. Ben, it's clear from all the good news from Q3 results that airlines around the globe are ready to rock and roll into 2023. But it's also becoming increasingly clear that supply chain issues are going to continue to hamper both Boeing and Airbus deliveries next year. Uh, who's who of aviation executives paraded through the Skift Aviation Forum in Dallas last week, and Stephen Udvar-Hazy, the CEO of Airlease Corp., was quite pessimistic about where this is trending. Well, Steve Udvar-Hazy understands airline and aircraft deliveries better than almost anyone in the world. So if he's pessimistic about where this is heading, that's a serious issue for everyone to take notice of because he's not a guy who's looking in from the outside. He's talking to people at Boeing and Airbus all the time. He's looking at buying airplanes. He's talking to airlines about what they're doing with their fleets. So if he sees supply chains slowing down deliveries, then that is absolutely happening. I saw that note. It looks like it was a very interesting forum that Skift Aviation had there in Dallas. And his comments, Steve Udvarhazi's comments, about sort of the supply chain and the slow delivery of aircraft was one of the bigger outcomes from that meeting. But I think he's right, and I think we're going to be talking about this as we move into next year. Yeah, he raises a lot of implications for investors, not just investors in Boeing and Airbus, but investors in airlines. We've talked a lot about the pilot shortage, but not a lot of discussion about kind of the aircraft delivery shortage or slowdown. I mean, there's a lot of expectation that it's going to pick up again. And with Boeing getting their act together with certification processes and things, that things are going to keep rolling off the line. But I think we're going to have to wade through these things into 2023 and maybe beyond. I think that's right. Well, Chris, since it's the season of giving thanks, Chris and I want to express our thanks. First to you, our loyal listeners who faithfully download each episode, keep sending us questions and tell your friends and colleagues about us. We appreciate your joining us every week and everything you've done to make this podcast a real success. And we also want to thank our sponsors who have allowed us to bring this podcast to you each week. Seabury Securities, Pratt & Whitney, Aerodata, and Sidley Austin have been tremendous partners all year. Seabury from the very beginning of this podcast. So we want to express our thanks to them as well. Well, let's take a question before we let you go. Please keep your questions coming via email at questions at airlinesconfidential.com or visit airlinesconfidential.com and follow the prompts to submit your question or comment. Ben, we've got a question from Elaine in Atlanta. Guys, with the recent disruption of Tropical Storm Nicole, so late in the fall when it's already feeling like the winter in some parts of the country, I'm wondering what you think is the more challenging weather disruption to plan for, a large wind and rain event like a hurricane 
or a heavy and expansive snowstorm? You know, that's a good question. Both can be very disruptive to airlines, of course. I think what it comes down to is the amount of time you have to plan. Something like a hurricane, for example, and having lived in Florida for 11 years, we dealt with a lot of these when I was at Spirit. You do get advance notice and warnings. Now, predictions aren't perfect, and there's failures in the predictions on both track and intensity. So sometimes it doesn't go where you think it's going to go, and sometimes it comes in weaker or stronger. So it's not always like you know, but you know something's going to happen. So if it's going to be serious, you can get airplanes out. You can protect your own employees. You can pre-cancel flights so you don't get people stuck there as well. Um, A snowstorm... It's hard to predict as far in advance. And my sense is that the way science sort of predicts these things, I would probably lean and say the heavy, expansive snowstorm is more disruptive because there's probably less time to prepare for it. It also just physically dumps all the snow on the ground. And so unlike rain and wind, which can have their own issues, the snow has to be plowed. Um, You have to protect equipment from it. It can hurt mobility around the airport in the ramp area. So while both of them are problems, I'd probably lean toward a heavy, expansive snowstorm is more disruptive to an airline. The other thing I would say about that is wind and rain events, maybe not hurricanes specifically, but large wind and rain events can affect everywhere, whereas heavy, big snowstorms usually are only up in the north, of course. Yeah, I was going to agree with that assessment. You know, plus, like you said, the recovery in a snowstorm, you got to dig out equipment, you got to plow, you got to make sure the airports are open, paths to the airport, your workers can get to work, and you have to do some of those in a hurricane. But um, And then, then you still have probably cold weather and de-icing and all other kinds of aspects. So I think that your assessment's pretty accurate. So Ben, as we power down, why don't you tell us what you're most thankful for as it relates to the airline industry this year? Well, as it relates to the airline industry, what I'm thankful for is the family that the airline industry offers. Thanksgiving is a family holiday, but the airline industry in many ways is a huge family. And it just keeps giving and giving in terms of great content for a show like this, but also has created such positive jobs and opportunity for so many people. So we can talk about electrification and we can talk about flight shaming and all kinds of things that may be threaten the airline industry going forward, but people and goods need to move and the airline industry is strong and is going to stay strong. And that's what I'm mostly thankful for, Chris. Yeah, I like that. I'm thankful for the fact that uh, 
a year ago, we were talking about Omicron and is this ever going to be over? And the industry has rebounded remarkably, not just across the U.S., but really across the globe. And now we're talking about not enough pilots and not enough planes and a bunch of things that we couldn't have imagined two years ago when we were in the midst of this pandemic. So I'm thankful for making money and getting people back to work and people getting back on planes and traveling for business and leisure and all those connections that come about from air travel. So lots to be thankful for uh, this Thanksgiving season, including our listeners dialing in and listening to us this week. So we appreciate that very much. We'll be back next week with a new guest and um, more of our regular programming. You know, Chris, when we did all our thanks, we didn't thank all of our great guests that we had this year, but we absolutely should. Yeah, we've had a, a lot of great conversations and the listener feedback has really encouraged us to continue that uh, line of programming and up our game with some really interesting guests that uh, have made us all smarter. So with some great guests coming in December, we hope that everyone has a very safe and happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.